Well, we're going to start a series this morning uh, on the Advent, and this morning's version or portion of that is called The Fullness of Time Has Come. And it's a curious moment, isn't it, that the whole world, historically and, and presently, is going to interrupt life and pay attention to something called Christmas. We're aware, if you follow some history, wars were stopped, right? Just yesterday was Christmas Eve, we were shooting each other. Today is Christmas Day, we're going to put our guns down. And, and we're going to treat each other differently. And, and, and there was actually stories, World War I, I believe, where across the lines where there was such violence and, and life-taking just 24 hours ago, all that stops. People from all kinds of different countries with all kinds of different interests all of a sudden found common ground and they've come together. And there's this thing called Christmas. And even if, you know, maybe you're watching, maybe you're not, maybe not severely religious at this point in your life, but you're going to interrupt your life and you're going to do Christmas. You're going to interact with this, this moment. Now, maybe it's been redefined for you. Maybe the Jesus of Christmas isn't a major feature, but this whole idea gets started somewhere. This thing comes along and touches the human story. And today I want to interact with, I want us to do some time travel today because God interacts with time and he says something about time that captures my attention. And he says it here in this one verse in Galatians chapter four, verse four it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for a time to walk through neighborhoods and drive through places where there's special decorations and there's lights lit up and just things just feel different. Lord, thanks for change of pace. Lord, thanks for traditions and family gatherings that we're going to be around people that we love, that we're going to make room for special events. We're going to eat some special food. God, this is just a special time of the year for us. And Lord, we're just grateful for it for a bunch of reasons. But Lord, you saw this moment in time. You stared at this moment in time. As a matter of fact, it seems as though you observe this moment in time differently than every other moment in time that we could be conscious of. So Lord, what were you looking at when you labeled this moment the fullness of time? God, help us. Help us to hear, to see, to experience all that you had intended for us. In Jesus' name, amen. That word to come there, right, in the fullness of time had come. It's the Greek word ekomai. It means to, for something to appear, to enter into a setting or a moment. And, and it's very much like the word advent. Right? This whole series we're going to talk about is going to be about things that have come to us as a result of this whole event that we call Christmas. But, but advent, it's one of those interesting words. We've all been familiar with it, right? It hangs out with the Christmas story, but it hangs out with a bunch of other words that we might not know what a lot of those mean either, like Yuletide. Is that like an Alabama phrase that just kind of got pulled into Christmas, like Roll Tide, Yule Tide? I mean, does anybody really know what Yule Tide is even about? Uh, 
Some of us know Hanukkah. You know, we know this is kind of Hanukkah season, but we know there's some kind of candles involved and there's lights and this it's Jewish. And Okay, we're done. That's all we know. Uh, plum pudding. Does anybody know whether that's, that's more like a cake or more like pudding? Does anybody really even know? I mean, these are mysteries <laughs> tucked away in the Christmas story, as is the word Advent. But Advent comes from a Latin word, which means to an arrival, an appearance. In the dictionary, Advent's described as the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And then Webster's synonyms for Advent are an appearance, an arrival, a coming, an incoming, like something is breaking into the world at Advent. I think I wrote your outline. This word says that something dawned upon humanity at Christmas. Something appeared. It finally arrived. Something broke into our existence. Something that changes our world and our very existence personally. That's a little bigger than what Walmart's got going on right now with their decorations, etc. But the language of Scripture speaks about this frequently. There is in Scripture this language of, of an appearing, of an inbreaking, of something long awaited. Right here's a couple of examples. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, the Apostle Paul describes his own life and what he's doing here. He says, of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. And he goes on to say, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So, so even the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places have been waiting for something. There's been this appearing that's going to come. And, and what an interesting thing. This is a sobering thing for me. I've always had such great respect for that one verse in Ephesians as a pastor because it, it, it says that we, the people of God, the church, are are adventing something to the angels and to the created order in the heavenly places. They are looking at us and they're going, that's, that's what God was talking about. First Peter chapter one picks up this language as well. Verse 10 concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. They searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating that he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. He goes on and says, things that have now been announced to you, though through those who preach the good news by the Holy Spirit and sent from heaven, things into which angels longed to look. So you've got this interesting component that God has hidden something, tucked it away. You couldn't have known it before if you wanted to know it fully, but you could get clues about it. You You could maybe get a smell of it as you walk through history. There'd be a little bit of aroma that would catch your nose and you'd be like, hey, what is that? 
And the Bible says the prophets of old, these people devoted to God, loving God, live for God, affected by their ministry to people. But they only got to see little pieces of it. It was hidden away. It's, it's appearing had not fully taken place. And again, the angels are listed. The angels who sang praises to God as he created everything. And then they waited for something else. And they waited and they waited and they had a little bit of a clue and they didn't fully understand it until this advent and something appeared in this moment. So history has been waiting. I think I wrote in your outline there. Traveling through man's history has been a hidden mystery kept hidden and mysterious by God. Can you just stop there for a second? The God that you and I have come to know, he has a history of hiding things and keeping them mysterious. You going to be okay with that? I'm not okay with that a lot of the times. I want an explanation. I want God to make this make sense. I want him to fully reveal things to me. Right? But this is the God that we're interacting with. And the Bible's not apologizing for that, right? It's like, look, guys, I'm really sorry. I've been kind of hiding this from you. Now it's appearing. I know I'm kind of late. I know you wanted it early. And just like God, no apologies. <clears throat> the way God operates, this was the perfect way to do it. Was to keep it hidden and then to reveal it. There are little hints, there are clues, there are previews, there are sound bites, all of them piquing human curiosity about something. Something that would be relevant to every tribe, every nation, every generation, no matter how primitive, no matter how technologically advanced, every personality type, every IQ level, it would be equally relevant for every human being. It would be as relevant for the guy who wakes up in the morning and his day is filled with the idea of what am I going to kill today with my sharpened wooden spear to feed my family? And that's going to consume most of my day. This event is relevant to that person. This event is relevant to the person who's going to board a Learjet today and fly to Hong Kong and sign some giant deal that changes global trade and affects millions of people. This event is as relevant to both of those people and to every one of us when it finally appears. So today, I'm going to focus on how this advent interacts with something that's profoundly fundamental to our existence. Time. Time. And then as I pick up and touch time a little bit, time is, is a deeply, deeply meaningful and it's also a little bit of a troubling aspect of our existence. And as you travel through time, and now all of us are doing that, we're traveling through time, uh, there's something that God says here, that little phrase, when the fullness of time had come. Right? Most of us were aware that there is this thing called time, right? We wear watches, we, we plan stuff, put things on a calendar. How many of us knew that there was a fullness of time? There was a particular moment in time that was different, unique, and special, and set apart from all other times. Right, let's back up into the concept of time just for a second. There's an interesting philosophical website called exactlywhatistime.com. Helps us think about time this way. Time is something we deal with every day and something that everyone thinks they understand. However, a compact and robust definition of time has proved to be remarkably tricky and elusive. 
among the many short, snappy definitions of time that have been put forward are, and these are by physicists and thinkers and philosophers, time is what clocks measure. That's profound. Albert Einstein said that. Uh, Time is what prevents everything from happening at once. A little helpful. Time is a linear continuum of instance. A certain period during which something is done. Although each of these definitions is fine as far as it goes, none of them feel wholly satisfactory. Various dictionaries have defined time as follows. Oxford Dictionary says, The indefinite continued progress of existence and events in the past, present, and future regarded as a whole. Wordsmith Dictionary says, A non-spatial system in which events appear to happen in irreversible succession. All right, so time is a massive part of our lives, and we experience time in some ways that actually feel troubling, challenging, right? So let let me give you my own categories of time. Uh, There are repeatable cycles of time that we travel through. There are days, weeks, months. We gather some of those months into seasons. There are years. We gather some of those years into generations, but we're familiar with, we're passing through these things. And sometimes it's interesting how we refer to them, right? I was meeting with somebody the other day, a couple, and had done their wedding and they were telling me, hey, we're coming up on our four-year anniversary. And it was like, no way. I'm thinking two years at best, right? So how many of you guys are having that experience? You're traveling through time and a lot more of it is passing a lot faster than you ever could have imagined it could pass, Right. So we do life through these cycles and there's a little bit of something, uh, you know, the older I get and the more these seasons I pass through, the more the way it feels begins to show up in my thinking, in my heart, in how I feel about a lot of things. I mean, it was one thing to kind of pass through summer when you were, you know, a kid, you know, it's all summer's over, I go back to school kind of a thing. Uh, it feels a little weightier now, right? And, and interesting, if we visited with the wisest man who ever lived, who wrote Ecclesiastes, and you listen to him. I don't know if you've ever read through Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is not a book that when you read through it, you're left going, whoo-hoo. <laughs> you're left with, oh my gosh, it's as bad as I thought it was. So this is what he says in chapter 1. It says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, goes around to the north, around and round goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns All streams, they run to the sea, but the sea doesn't fill. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. If any of these things are describing your experience as a human being, you are not alone, right? This is King Solomon in vast God-given wisdom observing this is what the human theater can feel like. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It's been done already. 
<laughs> the ages before. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel. Israel, right? Wealthiest king, one of the most respected kings in all the world. And this is the guy who's saying this, right? Does this just kill your sense of if I could just reach this financial level, you'd still sound like this. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I've applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that's done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. So as you and I pass through time, these cycles of time, it's like another Monday is tomorrow. Have you lived a bunch of Mondays? It's, I mean, I'm grateful. I, I'm, I, I like the interruption of the Christmas season, but it's another Christmas. Didn't we just have Christmas just a couple of months ago? And here we are again having it, right? So, so just life begins to feel like, man, just zooming through these cycles and we're doing it again. And it's just become so familiar and, you know, and I'm, oh, and I'm still not feeling okay. There's a passage of time. You have childhood years. You have your teen years. You have adolescence, young adulthood, midlife, elderly years. The English dictionary says the continuous passage of existence in which events pass, listen, from a state of potentiality in the future through the present to a state of finality in the past. How does that feel? Right? You stand at the doorway of some of these gatherings of time, these moments, these seasons of your life, you stand at the doorway of them, right? And, and nothing's happened yet, but you know what could happen in this category. There's, there's great possibility here. There's dreams, there's exploration, there's adventure on its way. And you set out on that journey and you're so excited and life feels a certain way when there's a bunch of stuff in front of you. But after you've done enough of life, you begin to notice that future potentiality passes through the present and becomes past finality. That's over, done, and gone. And the older you get, you old people are getting this, aren't you? The older you get, the more life is in the rearview mirror. You know, it's one thing to get in your car for the first time and you're like, you know, behind you is the driveway and that's all that's behind you. And the world is in front of you. You're young. You have all these ideas. That the life's going to be this. Life's going to be this. Life's going to be this. And you can't hear anything King Solomon just said. None of it makes sense. Because everything's in front of me. But time is a weird thing. Time is going to pick everything up in front of you. And it's going to move it behind you. And you're going to be done with it. And, and that would be fine. There weren't other things going on in us because sometimes that sense of adventure, that sense of arrival, that sense of this season, we're kind of banking on it doing something for us and to us. We think it, it's going to instill something in me. It's going to fix something in me. It's finally, and that's part of the, the great adventure. Now, all you guys who have been through midlife and beyond Part of what is so weird about walking through midlife is you have finally done that cycle enough times to where you realize the cycles don't fix you. 
The cycles in themselves don't awaken a sense of settlement and meaning and I'm at peace and all is good. You pass through them and they become part of your rearview mirror. It's interesting, Ecclesiastes goes on. Again, Solomon's just, he's just not, I don't know if he's just not in a good mood or what, but he, yeah, dude, you're just like a killjoy. Chapter three, verse one says, for everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, but a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what's planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And he goes on in verse 8 and says, A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Solomon, what are you, what are you saying about time? This is how time feels. As you travel through it, it feels like these things. And, and immediately when I say a time for war and a time for peace, now most of us have never been to war, truly. Right? There's maybe a few that have actually served in a war setting. You would know that there's, there's something about the feel of war, the, the threat, the management of fear, the sense of having adrenaline that's got to be in your system, the training that you need to go through to function in that arena of life. And that's totally different than a time of peace when you prepare for that completely differently. So when when Solomon lays out this view of time, he's, he's visiting the feel of life. He's not just pulling out a watch or a calendar and saying, okay, well, you know, the 16th comes after the 15th. Yeah. No, he's saying, what does life feel like? In this moment in time. And we're living that in our lives. It's interesting that there's a beginning of time. And in some sense, there's an end of time, right? This chapter, this existence of earth. There's a beginning of what we call time, right? There's an eternity that exists in God that that has no beginning and no end. But for our chapter of existence as human beings created by God for God's purposes, living on planet earth, there's a beginning of time and there's an end of time. It's probably pretty important, right? If you're doing time and all of us are, and I don't mean that like you're going to jail, but if you're doing time, uh, it's probably important that you kind of get those two points figured out. Right? If, I mean, if you're here right now watching my live stream and, and you don't have an answer for how did this all get started, what's the beginning of time? I can almost guarantee you it is impossible for you to live a meaningful life in your time moment right now because you don't know where time came from. You don't know what the origin of your existence is. And if you don't know where you're headed, the same thing shows up. Because you're going to pick this up at some point that whatever season you're in, whatever's captured your attention, whatever you're celebrating right now, it's going to be in your rearview mirror. Time is going to move it into the column of the past. And then you're going to start thinking, well, what's left? Well, the end of time is left. The big moment of summing all things up and standing before God that's left, right? So I want to factor that in to, to what I'm doing in this moment. But I find it interesting that in this phrase, 
God neither refers to the beginning of time or to the end of time as the fullness of time. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the advent of the Christ when he mentions the fullness of time. Let me go back to our time philosophers. Ursula Koop wrote a book from Time for Aristotle. She said, time is it's a kind of order. It is a universal order within which all changes are related to each other. So time does this weird thing of putting everything in relationship to each other. Another author says, our consciousness of time is therefore one of the most important distinguishing features of humankind. And one of the things that truly separates us from lower animals. It comes as no surprise then that from time immemorial, philosophers, teachers, and theologians have speculated on the true nature of time. There is general agreement among philosophers that time is continuous. And listen, that it has an intrinsic direction or order. Well, God goes further than that. And this is very important because it wouldn't it be most important not to just listen to philosophers describe something that they have no idea what the, exactly it is and listen to the one who created time as he describes time. God certainly sounds like he interacts with past, present, and future. But this is the God who lives outside of the constraints of past, present, and future. Right? Do you understand an, an omnipresent God who is everywhere all the time? There kind of isn't a past, a present, and a future for him. And I know that kind of freaks us out. I'm not going to chase that for very long. But this is the God that we serve. When that God looks at time, he sees it all. But then he looks at this one spot and he says, that is the fullness of time. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that captured me this week just meditating on this passage. The God who exists outside of time, who sees all of time, not like you and I. He doesn't see the past, the present, we're waiting. You know, God's not waiting for anything. He is everything. He's everywhere. There's not just memory. God is in that moment as much as he's in that moment. This is how God exists. But he stares at a particular moment in time. And he says, that right there, that's the fullness of time. And it's not the only time he says that. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. And, he, and, and Paul unpacks this even further in Ephesians chapter 1 where he says, verse 9, making known to us this mystery of his will, that thing that had been hidden all this time. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as, listen, a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So when God stares at time, he, he sees this one moment, this one event in all of time's activity, all the people that have existed, all the things that God has done, all the things that we will ever do, all the human history moments. And God stares at this one moment and says, that right there is the fullness of time. Now, now what that does for me is, is it sets up some sense of what are the big things and what are the little things? 
What's the sense of priority for my existence? Because if that's the fullness of time, then everything else is lesser time. Everything else is not getting the God of the universe, the God who invented time. It's not getting his intention the same way as this is. I wrote your outline. The fullness of time reveals something of a centrality for all of time and existence. It is not merely the next random moment. What a mistake we make to think December came for God just like it comes for us. Like the event just came for God just like it comes for us. No, 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 no. That's not how God operates. It's not the next random moment. It is the apex, the crescendo, the summation to a long equation. It is the reference point from which all other points in time find their place. It is the true north of the time compass. So God points to this advent, this moment in a unique way that makes every other moment in time stand up and take notice about this moment, right? We stand in time saying, my moment only makes sense if I understand that moment, right? That's what happens here at this advent event. So what is this event that comes at the fullness of time, right? God's not just talking to us about time. He's talking about an event that takes place in time. Galatians 4, verse 4, again. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as Sons. All right, so that one, I love the conciseness of this verse. In the fullness of time, something happened. Some event took place. So it's not just you and I, you know, kind of like trying to do time travel and we've got to figure out, you know, what's the, what's the central time travel moment that we need to tap into so that we can travel up and down the time spectrum. No, no, God is pointing to an event that took place in the fullness of time. And that event is called redemption. And I find this uh, humbling and a bit overwhelming that the God of the universe, he doesn't stare back at the creation that he made and what a, what a significant moment that was, wasn't it? I mean, the God who spoke everything into existence, the God who laid the blueprint, the plan, And he doesn't look at the summation of all things at the end where God creates new heavens and new earth and shuts everything down. God says the fullness of time is when he brought us back. When his affection to be restored and reconciled to his creatures took place. That, for God, is the fullness of time. So what what is this Christmas about? I know it'll be a a lot of things for a lot of people, but... This is what it's about for God. Tim Keller, in his book, Hidden Christmas, says, Years ago, I read an ad in the New York Times that said, The meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. In other words, we have the light within us. And so we're the ones who can dispel the darkness of the world. We can overcome poverty, injustice, violence, and evil. If we work together, we can create a world of unity and peace. Uh, Let me just be careful in in touching this concept. Um, 
I think if, you know, most of you in here are wanting to groan at this moment because you recognize, oh, that's not exactly how it works. But don't, don't move too fast past these categories of poverty, injustice, violence, and evil. And just stand in the moment that says, let me correct the people who don't get how to fix that. Or can we also have compassion for the reality of human beings who are living in those categories? That is every moment in time of every human being. You and I have our own versions of this. But there is this weariness of doing life in a fallen world that shows up for every last one of us. So when somebody shows up at my doorstep and presents their weariness to me, the odds are they're trying to fix it in a way that has nothing to do with the fullness of time. The odds are. Just be careful in how you relate to them. Don't, don't run so quickly to the manger scene that you just overlook the fact that, hey, do you need to just stop for a moment and cry with that person? Because their world is just hurting right now. And you get that, don't you? Is your world hurt? And you can be a Christian in the room here today and you can say, my world hurts. I've been through some things that were really, really hard and they still are really, really hard. Right? If, you, if you visit the history of man, there's one story after another. There's one song after another that in this hour cries out for God, can, can you just fix this? Right. And they, and they tend to show up around Christmas time, right? Here's some Christmas time songs. You really older people will remember the 1971, I'd like to teach the world to sing. Remember that one? Became a Coke commercial for Christmas and everybody sat and swayed on the edge of a mountain and drank their Cokes together. Well, th this is what they were after. I'd like to build the world a home and furnish it with love, grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves and probably smoke some weed as well. But <laughs> that's not in the song, but you know, I'm trying to think, was I doing that in 1971? <laughs> Close, but not quite that young yet. Uh, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to hold it in my arms and keep it company. I'd like to see the world for once all standing hand in hand and hear them echo through the hills for peace throughout the land. You know, you just get tired of hearing, reading stories about a, a kid who took a gun to school and shot people. Right? And, and those families go home this Christmas to a child, not their family anymore. You just get tired of God. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just get along? Wouldn't it be nice if the world was a little nicer to each other? Right? This is what these songs are about. Then about a decade later, get the guys from Band-Aid, stare out the world, ask the question, do they know it's Christmas time? It's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. At Christmas times, we let in light and we banish shade. Don't you love the world trying to come to grips with darkness and light? You know what that is? I mean, even the world who doesn't even know what Christmas is really about recognizes there's darkness in this world. And in our world of plenty, we can spread a smile of joy, throw your arms around the world at Christmas time. But say a prayer, pray for the other ones. At Christmas time, it's hard. But when you're having fun, there's a world outside your window, and it's a world of dread 
and fear, where the only water flowing is the bitter sting of tears. And the Christmas bells that ring, they're the clanging chimes of doom. Well, tonight, thank God, it's them instead of you. And there won't be snow in Africa this Christmas time. The greatest gift they'll get this year is life, where nothing ever grows, no rain, no river flows. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? Listen, all of our, not all, but mo- many of our Christmas carols are, are these songs, right? Listen to them carefully. O Holy Night, written, by the way, in 1843 by a French fellow who wasn't even religious, but he wrote this song. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Long lay the world, generation after generation, decade and century after century, till he, Advented, appeared, and the soul felt its worth. Can I, can I just tell you, I don't know what you and I will ever come up with a recipe to help people's souls find their worth. I mean, there's a whole counseling world out there. People are writing books. They're trying to self-validate individuals. Can I, I tell you, without the coming of this one, your soul cannot find its worth. It has to find its way back to its creator. It can never find its worth until it gets restored, redeemed to him. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices. Then O come, O come, Emmanuel, written in 1710 in Germany, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until a son of God, Advent, appears. Right? These, these are Advent songs. These are all songs that are looking for something to happen to come invade what we're experiencing. Whether you are lost and secular or whether you are a believer in God, You travel through life in a way that makes you go, God, you got to do something. You got to show up in our world. We have to look to you. And God points to this, this reality. God doesn't deny that the world feels this way. Listen, I know for many of us to be like, God, can you just make the world stop feeling this way? And, and, And the same God who hides things, when maybe we would say, why didn't you show us that earlier? Why is this the right moment to do that? That same God is doing something in a world that is weary. He's in that weariness. Remember Romans 8 explains this concept. For the creation waits. These are longing words, aren't they? Waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. These familiar sense of weariness and fatigue and weight 
under the hands of sin and violence and brokenness and death and sickness and suffering. This has been the human story that's been waiting for something to step into this moment and do something about it. Verse 23. What are we waiting for? As we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What, 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 is, what is your soul waiting for? Right, be careful. I know you're doing time, right? <clears throat> you're a child. You're going to be a teenager. You're going to get to drive. You're, you're going to get to have your, your posse and hang out with your folks. Do life. You're going to discover your abilities and people are going to know you for that. You'll, get, you'll build a reputation, right? All this stuff is in front of you. It's not in your rearview mirror yet. It's all in front of you. It sounds adventurous. It sounds like your soul could be satisfied. This is why you freak out as a teenager. Because someone's going to come along and put a pin in that. And you're going to be in some group until this new person shows up at school and reorganizes the groups and you're out. And your ears are too big or you wore the wrong embarrassing clothing. And now you don't have this adventure on your hands. Now you're just fighting for survival. Now you're depressed. Now you're just trying to figure out how to make it through the, the chalkboard jungle that you go to every day. Or you have young adulthood in front of you. You've graduated college. You're into a career. You're starting to get paid decently. There's opportunities in front of you, right? All this is in front of you. There's nothing in the rearview mirror yet. It's all in front of you. And there's, there can be this sense that, okay, hey, childhood was rough. I grew up. My parents were a certain way and we had a difficult time. But now I'm in the young adulthood. I'm making my own way. And there's going to be this sense of reward. There's going to be this thing that, that travels down into my soul. It's going to seep into my skin and find its way to my soul. And I'm going to, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be satisfied. And everybody in here who's past young adulthood knows, hey, there were some great moments. There really were. Man, experience something I'd go back and do again. Uh, it didn't fix my soul, though. That's kind of above its pay grade, right? I mean, your kids are great. I mean, I've loved, there's few things in this world I've loved more than uh, doing life with my kids and my wife. I, I, there's few things. Uh, but it, it, it is weird. You'll turn your family into something really, really weird the moment you start looking to them to fix your soul. They can't fix my soul. And any achievement that I could have can't fix my soul. There, there is something that this weary person in this weary world is looking to rejoice in. It, it is that act of redeeming when God redeems me back to him and my soul finds its satisfaction. In him, this is what Christmas is about. Tim Teller goes on and says, Christmas, therefore, is the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. It does not say, cheer up. If we all pull together, we can make the world a better place. The Bible never counsels indifference to the forces of darkness, only resistance, but it supports no illusions that we can defeat them ourselves. Christianity does not agree with the optimistic thinkers who say we can fix things if we try hard enough, nor does it agree with the pessimists who say only a, see only a dystopian future. The message of Christianity is instead things really are this bad 
and we can't heal or save ourselves. Things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there's hope. The Christian message is that on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Ronald, you guys can come back up. I'm not sure where you are. The worship team can come back up here. Something has come. And that something that has come was what God stared at, said, this is the fullness of time, of every human experience that exists, of every moment of question, of every moment of suffering, of every moment for a human being who has wondered, why am I here? Why am I going through this? Why didn't that work? Why did that person die? Why did this end the way it did for me? Of every moment in time where, because God's not just interested in time, right? He's, he's not a time traveler. He's interested in his creation that he set in time. So when God references time, he's, he's not just talking about the watches that we wear and moments and calendars. He's talking about us. He's talking like Ecclesiastes. He's talking about what it feels like to have done enough time to stop like Solomon and go, does any of this really even matter? I'm not doing anything different than anybody else has ever done. And where are they now? Dead. All their achievements, all their hard work, all their struggles. And where are they? Well, they're dead. Well, then what did it matter to any of them? This is King Solomon trying to make sense of why does traveling through time feel like this? And you don't arrive at a place. If any of you are thinking there's a destination on your time map that you're going to arrive at that moment and bingo, the lights are going to all come on. There's going to be this great celebration moment and everything inside your soul is going to find its moment to be knit and feel right. Not in this world. But he appeared to change all that. He appeared because the soul longs for something. What the soul longs for is him. He came to satisfy the longing that's in us. So here's what's true for us. And I just want you to ponder a question. I'll put a question at the end of your notes. The question is, does it make sense that any of our lives could be full and fulfilling and meaningful while being detached from this Advent event in the fullness of time? Does it make sense that you and I could be struggling, trying to achieve, trying to get to a certain place, trying to get the right people, trying to get circumstances lined up, trying to make use of the time that we have, while the fullness of time is so far off from our mind? We don't think about that. The God of the universe stares at our, our time existence and says, Everybody in time, take notice. There's this one moment right here. It's the fullness of time. It's like in no other moment in your life. It's more important than your wedding day. It's more important than you're coming into the world and you're leaving the world. It is the most important thing about your life. This fullness of time. So this morning thinking much about God's fullness of time description how did, how did that event show up in your events this week wherever you are 
young and old, healthy, sick, losing people. Maybe a baby was born. This moment is needed for every moment that exists in our lives. Let's stand up together. This is just like I think it's important that you actually be here to give this moment of opportunity for God to interact with you. Maybe you're watching live stream. There, there's something right now at this point that that, that kind of looks like you just kind of opening the door, so to speak, of your heart and saying, okay, God. I just heard a few things that really spoke to me about something. What are you trying to say to me this morning? So can you do that real quickly? And just everybody just get, get personal with God. Close your eyes if that makes you comfortable. But, but you and God begin to have a conversation. God is personal. He, he wants to be personal with you. Maybe there's some of you that are here that, that you just, you know, life is busy. Maybe you're blinded to some of the passing of time, doing life, you're on to the next thing. That feel of King Solomon's description in Ecclesiastes doesn't, that's not how life is feeling for you right now. I can't make you feel any different than that, but, but maybe the Holy Spirit can let you know there's going to come a day when life is not feeling that way. When the adventure in front of you will become a memory behind you and, and, and you're going to feel a little different. You're going to need this fullness of time, not just the next day. Maybe there's some here who are in touch with how times and seasons and events, they've not fixed the longing of your soul. You've traveled through them and on the other side, you're still needing something. Well, you need what God described in Ephesians chapter one, a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in him, to unite all things in him. So whether you're watching today or you're here with us today, God's intention for all of time is to answer to this one thing he wanted to do, to unite things with him. That's what he wants to present to you. In your moment in time, God says, I, I want to be united to you. I want to be joined to you. I want my life to pulse through your veins and to fill your heart and to saturate your soul. That's what I want. That's why the Christ appeared. So that redemption and reconciliation could take place. Let me just stop and ask you do, you, do you, do you want that? Maybe you don't have that right now in your life. Maybe you just know in your heart, this, this God is not intimate to me and I've not thought about this Christmas event beyond the shopping list and Santa. But this God wants to be united to me. He wants to be in my life. He wants to do the rest of time and eternity with me. I don't know that I've ever invited him and said yes to that offer. 
Would you want to do that this morning? If you do, tell God that. God, just tell him in your heart right now. Tell God. God, I want to take you up on your invitation. I see all that you went through. You sent your son to live a life and die a death, to break down walls and barriers that were between us. That's what sin has done. God, I I, kind of get that. And you've been at a distance from my life. God, you don't want that. You want to be united to me. You want to live connected to me. Well, God, this morning, however you do that, would you do that for me? Would you join your life to my life? This morning, God, I open my heart. I open my life to you. And by faith, I receive you into my life. From this day forward, for the rest of time, God, be with me. Fill my soul and satisfy my longings like nothing else ever could. Let me do this. I'm going to ask the the prayer team if you guys would make your way to the front. And I want to invite some folks to to just receive some ministry from God. And and don't downplay. There's there's things that God does in in hour-long messages, although I was... Less than an hour, by the way. Hope everybody noticed. Um, and so we interact with God through teaching. It's a predominant thing in the, in the New Testament. But there are moments when the Holy Spirit can just flood a need, awaken an impression, give us an insight through a prayer that just got prayed for us, give us a prophetic word that we just need from God in moments. It's a different form of ministry, but it's just what God does. And so that's what we have times of prayer for. And so if you just prayed that prayer that I just described for the first time in your life and, and, and you said, I, I want to be united to Christ, that, that's a step I'm taking today and I want to welcome that. Would you come up and let one of these guys pray with you just to get you started and encourage you and see what God has for you as you move forward? So in just a moment as folks are coming, you come up as well and, and just come find one of these folks that are facing out at you this morning. But I also want to invite some time, some other folks as well. I was going to call you time travelers, but aren't we all time travelers in this sense? And you kind of feel lost in time right now. You just got some things going on right now that you just feel lost. I'm just, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying you're lost from God. I'm just saying life has just been terribly disorienting. And, and I, I'm kind of losing sense of what's next and what's up and, and what's good and what's bad in my world right now. Oh, listen, maybe what you need is the nearness of God to draw near to you this morning, to assure you that he's with you on this journey, that he hasn't given up on you. So if this is where you are this morning, can, can you just take God up on an invitation to receive some grace and some prayer? We're going to close in this song. Come let some of these guys pray for you as you just travel through time. I know tomorrow's coming, but this is a hard season for you. Maybe, maybe you've been in several months of a hard season and you just kind of feel like I'm losing my way. Okay, you're not alone. There's a bunch of us that can feel that way right now. Well, let God come near to you. Go ahead and make your way up here if you guys feel like that would be helpful just to get some prayer from some others. And Ronald, would you close us in song?
invitation stands. If you need prayer, please come up while we sing. And as we respond to a sermon that features the fullness of time, how do we as believers live with that perspective? We live by looking to Christ. So let's sing about our great Savior. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to him belong? Who holds our days within his hand? What comes apart from his command? And who will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Let's sing that verse again. What is our hope? What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Sin and death will 
dismiss us in prayer, but if you still need prayer, please come on up. Let's pray to the Lord together. Father, you are a God who is great, who in the fullness of time dignified our existence by stepping into time with us, Lord. You imagined our life, Lord. You imagined our sin. And rather than reject us, Father, Christ took on the form of a servant stepped into time, lived a life, died a death, and raised, was raised for an offer of eternal life. Oh Lord, thank you for what you have done. Now grant us your peace, grant us your spirit, grant us your companionship this week, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Come up for prayer if you need it.